Welcome to Your Highness Podcast, a show where we get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uncover areas of cannabis where accessibility and inclusiveness are lacking, and elevate conversations about ways to affect real change in this space with a specific focus on folks who identify as women. Listening to Your Highness Podcast. This is your host, Diana Crash, and today I am joined by Cassia Graham of Canaclusive. How are you doing today, Cassia? I'm fine, thank you. And how are you? Good. Uh, so we are beginning this episode as we do every episode with our recurring segment, Fave Pot, Fave Not Pot, where we go through our favorite cannabis-related thing at the moment, or just something that we're, you know, into or we're using, and our favorite non-cannabis item, movement, moment, whatever it is. It's whatever is inspiring us, whatever you feel like talking about. So I'm going to start with my fave pot at the moment. And um, I can't believe I haven't brought this up sooner, but uh, it's Fruit Slabs. And this is a product line that is near and dear to my heart because my friend Maggie Wilson is the CMO. And also, it is a product line that takes into consideration so many things. It is um, kosher, gluten-free, no sugar added, and the packaging is biodegradable. Um, it's also delicious. <laughs> she sent me the non-infused, some non-infused samples, and it's like just straight, it's, it's like, it, it makes me think of when I was younger and I used to get like those pieces of fruit leather at the grocery store. Um, it's kind of like that, but it's like even better. Like it's, it has like chunks of coconut in it and, and mango. Oh, so good. I even put it in some smoothies because you can do that. Um, so yeah, that is mine right now. I, even though it's technically not cannabis because it's not infused, but you can get the infused, uh, version of it if you live in California. I can't right now, but hopefully someday I will be able to. So what is your fave pot right now, Cassia? My favorite pot right now is definitely um, legalization, adult use legalization in the state of New York. So I'm incredibly excited about that. And then that's also a great way to basically like answer a swath of uh, favorite pot because that means that soon we'll be able to get a lot of things that have been unavailable to us on the commercial front. That is really exciting. I'm so excited for all my friends that live in New York and hopefully I'll be able to come visit soon <laughs> yes. and see all these products that are available. So my fave not pot is, um, is volunteers who help make kids events happen because I had, you know, I have a tiny human and they're not always easy to entertain. And this time of year, especially it's like, you want to find something to get them out of the cold and keep them entertained. So um, we went to this, it was like this really old train. It's, it's a little, it's a thing that they do, but they do it every like holiday, you know, they have like a Halloween one and all that. 
Um, and so Santa was on the train and um, it, it moved very slowly. Like I probably could have walked out, walked faster than the train was moving, <laughs> but it was really cute and it was all volunteer run. And um, that just makes me so happy when there's people out there that are willing to do and spend their time on things like that. So that's my fave not pot right now. What's your fave not pot? That that sounds really awesome. I'm just like that. That's definitely sounds like something that would be a fave. Fave non-pot at the moment, um, because I am um in Hawaii on the Big Island is Hawaii. Uh, it kind of reminds me of home. I was born in Jamaica, but not raised there, and it's just like very lush and green, beautiful flowers, beautiful people. Um, the food is so delicious. Like it. Yeah, I really enjoy being here, so that's probably my favorite thing. Um, yeah, that sounds moment. like a good one. <laughs> yeah. And I it's can just only like, imagine. It's just like, oh, I can get away for a bit. Um, I know that we were talking earlier before the recording started, and just, you know, I never get away. I have not been on a real vacation since, um, I think, 2010, 2011-ish. Wow. Um, probably 2011, I think. Yeah. And so it means a lot for me to kind of like get away and disconnect as much as humanly possible. Um, being a freelancer, that can be difficult. And then also, you know, looking at all the events that were happening in cannabis these last like two weeks, I definitely got, had a bit of FOMO, but I was also like, you know what? I need this time to myself. I need to regroup. Um, I'm not going to claim 22 as my year because hello COVID. Um, it has proven each year that, you know, we're just going to get our yeah. butts kicked to a degree. Cause yeah. there's also like the space to thrive and to like, you know, have a good time throughout this. Yeah. But you know, I need to kind of like set a game plan and to like come back stronger yeah. than this last year, because this last year was definitely trying in lots of different ways. Um, I'm not trying to have a perfect year. I'm just trying to have a year that is good for me on an individual level. See, I think we should just get rid of resolutions and just stick with something like that. Let's just have a good year on some level. <laughs> yeah. it, let's stop making grandiose statements like this will be my year or yeah, you know. good, it could mean it could mean all sorts of different things. Right. You know? Yeah. Yes, exactly. It can mean some very uncomfortable things mm -hmm. at the moment, you know? Um I'm definitely learning that. So Switching gears a little bit, uh, we talk about inclusion and diversity often on the show, um, and we also manage, we mention Caninclusive often just to bring that into the discussion, but Cassia is an expert on diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, as it is known. More specifically, for those who don't know, can you explain how DEI intersects with marketing in the canvas industry? Oh, I'm just like, this is the kind of thing where I can be here all day. So obviously, right, I know that was a loaded question. Yeah. So if you could give us the Reader's Digest version, so to speak. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So they're separate things, but obviously they can mesh together. Um, and I think that any company that has both sets of items in mind is probably going to do better than a company that does not. Um, and that may not be like do better financially, but do better holistically and um, as a whole with regards to like who their audience is, how they're respected by folks on all sides of the industry. Um, so in terms of DEI with marketing, cannabis is growing. We are all learning 
um, and expanding. And one of the ways that you learn, grow, and expand is to be mindful of who your consumers are. Um, and then also the consumers that you would like to engage with. So you want to make sure that you are showing different types of representation, um, not just with regards to like color, because people often stick to the binary of color in the United States, which is black and white. But there are people who fall inside and outside of all of that. So you want to look at, um, you know, people who are black, indigenous, uh, Latine, um, mixed race, Middle Eastern, Asian, a mixture of one to many of these things. Um, I have several cousins who are like a mix of like everything, you know. Right. Um, but it's also like a matter of like a cultural aspect too. Right. You want to make sure that there is actually fairness um, with regards to the people that you hire, like, you know, not just hiring people to fill diversity quotas, but making sure that they're treated respectfully, that you are listening to them, that you are caring them, that you're also um, acting upon those recommendations that they make and doing so earnestly, not just to get, you know, pats on your butt or to be able to say that you did this for yourself, but you did this for um the cannabis community as a whole, especially like the BIPOC, uh, the queer, the disabled, the, um, you know, older cannabis community, right. all the people who tend to be overlooked because yeah. cannabis is very visual, which I don't think people outside of cannabis realize that as much. Right. Um, so there is like a lot of lookism in cannabis. So Right. Yes. Exactly. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I just, that was, that really, yeah, touched on something I'm seeing a lot of people not thinking of the consumer so much, right? Like they just think, oh, anybody who likes cannabis, but beyond even what you were saying, um, you know, talk about the disability communities and people who are chronically ill and things like that. And it's like, they are driven to this community for a reason, right? So what are you doing to make your um, your job place accessible, your workplace mm-hmm. accessible? Like not just, you know, like you said, filling, filling hired positions, like filling positions just to say that you hired X, Y, Z, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's beyond that. It's are you offering remote uh, jobs for people who can't come into the office? Do you have accessible workplaces? Like all the way through. You know, and and I think that there's such a hole. It's a giant hole <laughs> in the community uh, where we're not seeing that. It's just like, oh well, if people if people like the plant, then that's that's our that's our people. Absolutely, and um, what some people don't realize, especially those who may either be from the more corporate side of America that was outside of cannabis, who are now in the industry, is that a large part of the cannabis community is also this disability community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I am someone who, for the most part, has invisible or a disability invisible that you dis- can't see. Right. Um, but then I also went through some physical, outwardly physical things that were either temporary disabilities, like cancer being a sometimes temporary, sometimes it's kind of permanent if someone is a lifer, unfortunately. Right. Um, so dealing with things like that. And then also with regards to the imagery that's put out, it's still quite often, and even, you know, in BIPOC spaces, it's like you're thin, you have like, you know, your features may be more European, your hair may have a looser curl, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a look that is, you know, still palatable and, and sexualized primarily for straight cisgender men. Um, and so that's something that we also have to like look at and really examine. I think there's a lot of focus more so on the racial and to a degree the classist aspect that's in cannabis, but people don't want to talk about anything else because they feel that like it's going to sort of erode the conversations we're having with regards to like diversity, equity, inclusion on more of a racial level. Right. Um, but it's just like you can't ignore these other like base like huge yeah. elephants that are in the room. Right. Like they they have that whole change is incremental uh yes. POV. And my thing for cannabis is just like if cannabis is still in terms of I guess the more um acceptable and outwardly commercial legal level. Mm-hmm. And so we have this really great opportunity to go above and beyond when it comes to these things and not like do the, oh, the change is going to take time or we, no, we Mm -hmm. should be, we have the opportunity to be as radical as possible in this space. And lots of people are not really seizing that and, you know, are still doing this like, oh, this incremental thing, this like teeny tiny bit at a time. Um, And it's just like, what do you have to lose? You know, if you're worried about losing like a bro as a customer, yeah. And I mean, honestly, they probably won't really go too far. People have a very short um, memory, a span of memory, um, you know, and then it's also like, are those necessarily people that you want as your consumer? And I'm not saying that you should pander to people either, because one, people can usually tell when you're pandering to them. And two, it's just like a really bad and like useless look. Right. Um, but you're in, so right about this short te- short memory, though, and I feel like I have to say this because you're on the podcast. Uh, I wrote about I wrote about Mary and Canaclusive a couple of years ago for mm-hmm. High Times, and there was a um, social media post about the article, and in that post, there were a lot of racist comments. Now, I should just dial it back a bit and say that when I originally pitched this article, my editor said. I just want to make sure this isn't a hit piece. Mind you, I had written about some very controversial topics up to that point, and she never made a comment, okay? Um, So then the post comes out, and the comments were there, and people like Dr. Knox were um, calling them out for their lack of dealing with it, right? Mm -hmm. So what did they do? They just deleted it and acted like it wasn't even... Post. Like they didn't address it at all. None of my editors responded to me. I mean, to be fair, they're not there anymore. So anyway, but the long and short of it is, is that a lot of people who were really upset at that moment are now in high times and promoting high times articles. Um, so like just to paint that picture of how quickly our memories last, you know, and, and how, like, like you said, how we're just kind of like, not pushing it all the way by calling out this kind of behavior, you know, I shouldn't yeah, say I we, mean, I shouldn't say we, cause you are, and, and yeah. there are people who are, you know, but, um, yeah, sorry. Um, but then just as a whole, and what I used to say in the past was that people are leaving money on the table, but I also had to dial it back for myself in realizing that I was basically like commodifying people and reducing people to the value that they bring to an organization via their funds. And people are so much more than that. 
the fact is that you have these consumers, these people who purchase your product, who may endorse your product one way or another because, you know, people on the side are like saying, hey, did you enjoy this product? If, if you did, like, you know, tell me more about it. Um, and you, you cannot and should not ignore those people. Um, and just as a whole, I, for me, not that like cannabis has to be super crunchy, but because of the unique nature of this product and the industry, you absolutely have to have DEI baked in. And if you don't already have it um, in your company, and you can do it at any size. I think a lot of people are intimidated right. by it and think that that means that you have to like bring on someone to do it all full time. I mean, if you're a huge, if you're an MSO, like, yeah, you should have someone in that position sure. who is doing your CSR. Um, and it does not always have to be a white woman who did HR in the past because that's what a lot of like, you know, CSR right. and DEI roles end up being. Yeah. Um, and it unfortunately ends up furthering white supremacy because you have a lot of people in those spaces who don't understand it. Or as I noted um, prior, they just look at uh, binaries as opposed to just like the bigger picture and including like as many people as possible in those conversations. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Exactly. I mean, you can definitely do it on a much smaller scale. It's, <laughs> um, it is doable. So what are some brands you see incorporating DEI initiatives in their business models? Um, so there are some smaller brands that just have always had it in um, involved in their brands or they're just like working just very, very hard. And I'm able to like see it on the back end through different conversations I have with folks or just there's some stuff that is very present and upfront. So things that are like very present upfront definitely can. And full disclosure, um, they are a can inclusive client, although I don't work on that particular project, but I do work with several members of CAN um, on Cannabis for Black Lives, which I know we're going to talk about a bit later. So in terms of their staff and their hiring, um, putting people of color in positions where they make important decisions, um, listening to them, being open to feedback, because I know that even I wrote them with regards to an email and I said, hey, they're, you know, there are definitely some um, issues, some problems with this email, and may I offer some suggestions, and here are some resources that you can use, and they were super open to it. It wasn't like the case where like I was being shut down um, or condescended to, but um, Luke and the team are always open to like, learning, growing, and you know, really listen to the Canaclusive team, so they are definitely someone who is doing it right. Um, and by right, it doesn't mean that it's, it's that there's an end to it because you're always learning. Right. You always yeah. have to adapt. There's you know? no template for doing it right. <laughs> exactly. Because and what, what really kills me is someone is always like, well, in the, you know, back in my day, and this is not even like boomers talking. These are people who are, you know. My age. <laughs> yeah. Like, look, people weren't so sensitive. And it's just like, eh. We, you know, we know better, and so hopefully we do better yeah. because there were things that people used to do to disabled people, to black people, to queer folks, to anyone who, you know, to indigenous people, to anyone who was not the quote-unquote norm, white, straight, male, Christian, you know, right? that were wholly unacceptable, and some were even legal, but they weren't immoral. You know, so are we going to go ahead and continue perpetuating these things? You sound ridiculous when you say that. 
No, it's like, it's just such an obtuse way of just saying, I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Yeah. You know? it's or just, I'm going to say the wrong thing and right. I don't care. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes, because it's like, if you just say, I'm afraid of, you know, of looking like an asshole, then it's like, okay, well, here are some ways that you can't. But they don't ever want to take that extra step, right? <laughs> yeah. And so, like, businesses that are open to listening and working with people. And then there's some other um, organizations that are a bit larger who, you know, had some issues in the beginning. Um, but, like, you know, are trying to work towards towards doing better. But right. I also, like, I'm not going to, like, shop them out right now because I'm just, like, I need to see it and it needs yeah. to be consistent. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm shutting out Can because, like, I've it's been consistent. I've just seen them, you know, for the several years that they've been in business doing this. And that growth has been, like, so immense. Um, and then there's smaller organizations and not just um, – when we're looking at DEI, we're also, again, like looking outside of even the physical for us, environmental um, items. So find um, another room, which is based in Canada. Um, they're doing their best to like reduce their packaging. Nice. They um, brought on a couple of folks and I'm a part of um, that group for feedback. So that, you know, about like different products and such. Like, for instance, um, they put a new product out, and I just gave them some suggestions about how they can um, speak to people about this product just because it's a fun product, but I'm just like, okay, you have to be mindful of certain situations. I'm not, the reason I'm not divulging all of this is because I did sign an NDA, so I can't, like, spat out all this stuff. Right. But new product, you know, here, just keep these things in the back of your head when you're creating this particular product. Um and they were really open to that because they were like, oh, we didn't think of it. Right. You know. I love so, that, though. It's like at first you might be a little bit offended, but then you go, okay, no, wait a minute. I can see, you know. <laughs> I just don't understand not wanting to, to have that growth in your life. You yeah. Know? And then but, another favorite. Yeah. And also, and the thing is, like, lots of small businesses are the ones who are really coming in strong with this. Right. Um and like Rosebud CBD before oh, yeah. they, yeah, I've heard of them. You know, they've always been doing like a monthly give back um, to various organizations. The same thing with um, Barbary. And again, it's I'm like noticing this trend where it's like primarily BIPOC owned, small biz, most owned by, and also like women owned businesses. Um, there is Budwell, um, and. They have a one hitter that is aluminum, but it, it's it's a bit more than a one hitter. You can get a, a couple of good puffs out of it, um, and it's also customizable. And they, when Sarah created it, it was just because thinking about like all the waste in cannabis, and it's like obviously joints are great, but then there's like a lot of waste that goes into that, and mm -hmm. like the bud, the buddy is meant to last. Um, so things like that. Then. There is another organization, actually a owned by white men, <laughs> um, Chill Pipes. Um, Justin, who is one of the, um, I can't remember if she's like the sole founder or co-founder. Um, he has a really generous give back program for a couple of different organizations. And it felt really good to have someone come to me and like ask my opinion about like, you know, how should this particular give back work? Um, and 
it was just like, okay, someone is actually thinking and caring about an audience that may be outside of themselves. Um, Because quite often, you know, white men in cannabis are kind of like these like princes of the universe type things. Yep. Um, And I know someone's probably going to be listening and being offended by this, but they should not be. It's just like, you know, (laughs) you can, you have this immense privilege and it's up to you to determine how you're going to use it. Yeah. No one, you know, I'm not asking for someone to give me every single last thing that they have. No. But you can give this teeny tiny bit that can make a huge difference for someone else who's in the industry. So that means that you are mentoring someone that you are opening, and this is for everyone, mentoring someone, opening the door to like meet people, saying people's names when they're not in the room. Like that's super important. Um, And not just saying people's names, but also following up (laughs) Um, after that and putting people in positions where they can affect change. And again, no box ticking. No one likes that. No one cares for it. Um, Except for the people who want, you know, those ass pads. (laughs) A hundred percent. So talk and, about your yeah. work with Floret Coalition. I love, love, love working with uh, the Floret Coalition, um, and that's via Broccoli Magazine. I also love to let everyone know that I named it. That's like, I did usually, you? I did. I usually super humble, but <laughs> I was just like, I named the Floret Coalition. I mean, I it only makes that. sense. I love it's that bro- so much. Yeah. I really do. I thought that was so clever. It oh. only makes sense. I mean, it's Broccoli Magazine, Broccoli Medical yeah. Florets. I love um, it. And it's all these, you know, I think roughly to start, it was like about 100 organizations um, that were coming together. So that's how you make, you know, a nice piece of broccoli is having all those florets squished together. Um, So every month we raise funds for a different uh, charitable or um, mutual aid organization, though we're shifting it a bit. So we focus more so on registered 501 or anyone who has like a fiscal sponsor so if in the future we want to work with someone who is more of a mutual aid organization we're going to see about getting them a fiscal sponsor so that we can still give them those funds um and if anyone's wondering what the difference between mutual aid and um like registered nonprofits typically is mutual aid organizations are able to affect change a lot faster and people don't as you said, I'm sorry. Mutual. Mutual. Okay. Yes. So okay. mutual, it's community-based. Okay, right. Um, and community, you know, again, it's the kind of word that is very wide-ranging. So it can be people from inside the community, people outside of the community. Um, with mutual aid organizations, typically if someone has a need, mm-hmm. it's addressed immediately. And with regards, and it's irregardless. Whoops, I almost said a word that I do not like. It's regardless. <laughs> it's regardless. <laughs> Um, of whether or not they meet certain criteria. It's basically you have So there's no means-based testing, right? Exactly. And that's where, I mean, I'm also, I've done some time in the nonprofit world. Yeah. Um, And it's just so, all the red tape Mm -hmm. and the amount of time that you have to spend waiting or like, you know, filling this out, filling that out. Mm -hmm. And I understand why there, why it exists to a degree, but it can just be really difficult for those people who are in need. Yeah. And so um, with registered charities, typically they have a board that they have to answer to. 
financials they present. Although mutual aid organizations also have like financials that they typically hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like basically a lot more red tape to, to get needs met for people. Okay. But also like there's a greater accountability for um, non-registered nonprofits. Mm. That's so interesting. Not that mutual aid organizations are not accountable, but it's, it's a different right. type. Yeah, yeah, a different kind of accountability. That That is really interesting. Thank you for teaching me something today. <laughs> so we have raised funds for community farms, wow. um, domestic violence um, awareness programs, and also domestic violence shelters. We are location agnostic. We are agnostic of um, most needs for the most part because we also have um, – prison education services that we've raised funds for. Mm-hmm. Um, then one of my favorite things was Black Feast, which is basically just a Black Joy initiative. So they will have like sweet treats or meals and like actual flowers. Cause we have this whole thing about giving people flowers while they're alive um, for folks. Um, then there was also the, a free library that is basically focused on literature by Black folks. I love that. Um, there was a nonprofit, sorry, nonprofit. A, <laughs> I just feel like I'm probably saying um a lot, and my art oh. teacher would just rake me over the coals for this because she was just like, don't say, don't say like, don't say um. Yes, but haven't they figured out that doing that means that you're more intelligent and you just process information differently? Because I say those things as well, and my teachers would give me a hard time. But now I'm, I've done a lot of reading, and I I feel better about the fact that it's it's uh, actually showing that you have a lot going on in your brain. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I have too much going on in my brain. I'm always thinking, which is why I don't sleep. It's, it's horrible. Um that's why I write that, most yeah. of the things because I have to edit and I have to think about it. And that's why my writing doesn't have all of those breaks. Right. But I when totally you're talking you in real life, it's like, okay. Oh, okay. I want to say these things, but all of the things <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. so we've also, um, and I'll wrap up the Florida coalition stuff. Oh yeah. Also, so um, domestic violence shelters on Navajo in Navajo Nation, mm-hmm. um, some work for um, elders that we've also done. And this is because quite often, um, and I, I did it a little bit after, I chose this charity a bit after the onslaught of Asian American or anti-Asian American attacks that were happening right. because it's important to keep that, because the news cycle is so short. And also, yeah. like again, the other thing where people's memories are so short. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to be able to keep that going. Um, so I think oftentimes when people think about charitable initiatives for people of color, they tend to leave out Asian people. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that that didn't happen. It's awesome. I love that. So uh, talk to me about Cannabis for Black Lives. Okay. Oh, and I forgot to say how much um, Florette, we typically raise about $10,000 per month, which Wow. Yes. So it's a pretty big deal. Wow. um, How can people join it um, before we move on to the next amazing thing that you're dealing with? (laughs) 
If you go to Broccoli Magazine, um, there's a tab on the drop down and you can find out more about Florette and how to join and about the board members. I work with Menle Goloke Agre, who is also known as Weed Dia. Um, and she is the co-founder of Chula Herbs. And um, she is part of the Broccoli Podcast Duo. Mm-hmm. And also Maya Shaw, who has been instrumental in supporting the cannabis community. Um, and then Anya Charbonneau, hopefully I did not butcher Anna's, I mean, Anya's last name. Um, of course, she is the founder of Broccoli Magazine and was just, has been an incredible um, accomplice in all of this. And she's been open to everything that we have um, brought about, all the organizations that we um, work with. And then her team does like a great deal of the more so administrative type of work and creating all the um, images that the company share. So they just do so much to make it easier on the board. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit, what is Cannabis for Black Lives? So Cannabis for Black Lives is kind of similar to the coalition, except we raise money for cannabis and cannabis adjacent organizations. Um, whereas Florida Coalition is more so like the looking at the whole picture mm-hmm. and the communities that are impacted um, via those ripples of um, cannabis injustice, then Cannabis for Black Lives focuses primarily on social equity organizations. So we've worked with like Supernova Women, Equitable mm-hmm. Opportunities Now, Our Dream slash Our Academy. Um, so those are people who are helping the current and next generation of cannabis entrepreneurs um, find their way in the space. And so by raising funds, um, we have lots of different organizations that are involved. So we have some MSOs, we have some smaller businesses. And with TFBL, we are location agnostic, Mm -hmm. um, just being mindful that so many people, when they think of cannabis, they just look at the West Coast, um, or they only look at places where it's 100% legal, so both medical and adult use, and may not like you know have an interest in a place if like they're not able to be in that market yet. So, you know, we really encourage that people participate, regardless of whether or not you can see yourself like in that space in the future, because it's more so about cannabis as a whole as opposed to just little pockets yeah absolutely and we raise it's um a varied amount that we raise for organizations it's um so far we've raised between 20 to forty thousand dollars per organization and those are two month campaigns that we do um and we do the same thing where we create all of the collateral that these organizations push out including like the emails and the leave behinds if they do any give backs in store um, so that they can amplify it on their social channels. And we have three different pillars, um, amplification, fundraising, and then there is also people placement. So if someone wants to mentor or has like a certain skill that an organiz- a partner organization we're working with needs, then we'll place them together. That's amazing. Um, so before we go, is there anything that you would like to promote? Or, I mean, I know you just promoted a lot of things, but on a personal level, do you have anything that you would like to call t- attention to or any calls to action? 
I think, you know, listening to BIPOC folks, mm-hmm. especially Black, Indigenous, and Aline people, um, of which Aline can be any race, um, but we're speaking specifically people of color who are Latine, not so much white Latines. Sorry, y'all. Um, uh, you know, take action, positive action, um, be consistent, understand that it is going to take time um, and that you're going to learn, you're going to fuck up. It's okay to mess up as long as you, you know, listen to anyone who calls you in mm-hmm. um, and actually continue doing that work to make this a more equitable industry and again you like really have to mean it for me i don't want to see people getting on board with something that they don't truly believe in because one i don't like fake people um two it's not helpful for those communities that are impacted to have someone who's not really into it right and to be mindful of you know the reasons why they may um want to join in on the things that BIPOC folks are doing in cannabis, um, the things that like queer people are doing in cannabis, that uh, the disability community is doing in cannabis. Just, you know, see whether or not you really want to be there. And if you don't want to be there, that's cool. But in doing that, just make sure that you um, keep it to yourself, <laughs> i.e. if you see that someone's out there and, and they're pushing for um more DEI or they are calling something in or out just you know don't participate in like trying to bring that organization or like those people down yeah okay because it, it's, it's really not for everyone and then that's okay just don't be a dick about it that's true yeah let's just make that be the thing <laughs> I'm just kidding don't be a dick about it <laughs> That's that's my motto for life. Don't be a dick about it. I feel it, it encapsulates a lot, yeah. right? It's, it's the, the, the Brooklyn in me. Hey, I feel it. So thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, please come by anytime and, and share your wealth of knowledge. I appreciate yep. it. Thank you so, so very much. Very excited to be on. And I cannot wait for when it's out. Awesome. Until next time, stay high and beautiful. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at Your Highness Podcast or on Twitter at Highness Podcast. Be sure to rate us on iTunes and subscribe.